The image of grapes and grapevines that the Lord Jesus uses in John's Gospel has, pardon the pun, deep roots in the Jewish imagination going back to antiquity, possibly to chapter 13 in the book of Numbers. There the Israelites have arrived at the southern border of Canaan. On the other side of that border lay the Promised Land, their goal in the long journey out of Egypt. Was Canaan worth all that trouble? To find out, Moses sent twelve men undercover to spy out the land. Their instructions end with a specific request. They are to bring back some fruits and produce as proof that it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. They return forty days later with irrefutable proof that Canaan is a land fruitful and pleasant. Numbers mentions that it was the season for the great harvest, which places this in about mid to early August. There is a hint to the reader of what to expect. They bring back with them a huge cluster of grapes so big that two men have to carry it on a pole between them. The scene was painted by Jacques Tissot in the 1890s, Tissot was a much admired for his scenes of modern urban life, paintings like The Bridesmaid, The Portrait of the Marquis de Marimont, The Shop Girl, and many, many more. In the mid-1880s, Tissot returned to the practice of his Catholic faith, which he had abandoned as a young man. He spent the rest of his life painting biblical themes. Among them was the return of the spies in Numbers 13. Tiso called it the Grapes of Canaan. The original is in the Jewish Museum in New York, appropriately enough, but there was a reproduction in our family Bible at home. I used to examine that enormous grape cluster with wonder in the frozen wastes of subarctic Upper Michigan, the only grapes we ever saw came in bottles of Mad Dog 2020. It was favorite of the guys who went out fishing. Numbers 13 would go on to make a lasting impression on the Jewish imagination. The vine became the symbol of God's covenant love for his people. The Jewish people understood that they themselves were the vineyard planted intended by God who acted now as the gardener, now as the vine dresser. This may explain why the image of the vineyard appears over and over again in the Old Testament. The most famous example is in Isaiah's Song of the Vineyard in chapter 5, where we're told the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. But it can be found also in the Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Songs, the prophets Hosea, Jeremiah, and Micah. It could be seen also in a more dramatic and public way uh, in the temple where Josephus and the Mishnah describe a magnificent golden vine hung over the portal of the temple. The image of a grapevine was part of the social and religious culture that Jesus grew up in. Wine was an essential part of the Passover liturgy, and just as Jesus took the third cup of wine at the Last Supper and gave it an entirely new significance, so too in this passage from John the Grapevine, the image of Israel's identity undergoes an unexpected shift in meaning. 
God's vineyard is no longer defined by geographical boundaries, but by Christ himself. He is the one true vine. And faithfulness to Israel's covenant God means being grafted into him. In effect, the Lord was radically redefining the story of Israel, the law, and the temple around himself. And in doing this, he gives all the symbols of Israel's identity a completely new meaning. Jesus is saying that God's plan for the salvation of the human race has reached its fulfillment in himself. He is the messianic king Israel had been waiting for. But his kingly reign would look very different from what anyone would have or could have imagined. He would reign as the son of David, but as a crucified son of David. We hear this reading within the Easter season, and that gives it a particular significance. The liturgy may tell us who Christ is, but it also tells us who we are. He is the vine, we are the branches. When we were baptized, we were grafted into his death and resurrected life. We are ontologically different on a level of being. We live by his life, not by our own. We, while we celebrate his return from the dead, we acknowledge that those reborn in baptism will, like Christ, have an embodied life after life after death in a renewed world where suffering and death will be no more. I'm not telling you anything new, of course. This is simply Catholic sacramental theology. And if we apply that theology to the image of the vine and the branches, what do we get? Well, the purpose of a grapevine is to produce fruit, but a branch cannot produce fruit unless it is connected to the vine. You don't have to own a vineyard to know that. Anyone who's ever grown tomatoes or squash firsthand has experience with that simple organic truth. A fully grown vine produces between 15 to 25 pounds of fruit. What are the fruits of the spirit that a fully initiated Catholic can or should produce? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the spirit. So what would our present toxic culture of continual outrage and indignation look like if those were the fruits that govern our lives instead of the opposite? 